Kia ora, I'm Alexia Russell and on the detail today, why is New Zealand importing coal by the shipload? New Zealand's hooked on coal, importing more than 1 million tonnes of low-grade coal from Indonesia last year. The fuel was burnt at the Huntley power station to keep the lights on as gas fields, hydro and wind turbines failed to meet demand. New Zealand is likely to import more coal this year than it ever has before in the midst of a self-declared climate emergency. Last year it was already the highest in 14 years and this year even more, mostly to power our homes and businesses. The need to stop mining coal and burning coal is not a subject for negotiation. Megan Woods says it's unfortunate that fossil fuels play such a role in our electricity security. However, she says the energy sector has committed more than a billion dollars to renewable projects this year, including geothermal and wind sources. We have had a pretty good electricity sector from a carbon emissions perspective for a very long time, and it probably has contributed to, to us taking our eye off the ball a little bit. Coal is the worst emitter you can possibly find, and New Zealand's finding lots of it in Indonesia. Why are we still using coal? And if we have to use it, why aren't we using our own coal? Well, the reasons are many and varied, and they include a lack of future planning, failures in other power generation methods, the varying quality of coal, and our insatiable demand for electricity. And maybe there's another reason, our simplistic understanding of what makes good environmental political policy. There is a big policy gulf in this country where I I tend to think of it as it's a sort of high school level understanding of climate change. People think... If we just shut something here, that's all right. You know, we've tamed the climate monster. This is Gavin Evans, the group editor of Freeman Media, which publishes energy news and inside resources. He's been covering energy issues for 25 years. People focus on coal because coal's a huge part of the global discussion on climate change. And worldwide, coal still you know, accounts for a lot of the world's energy. It's about, it's about a quarter of the world's all the world's energy, and it's still about 35% of the world's electricity. We still use coal in New Zealand, but not nearly to those kind of levels. Of all the energy we use, coal's about 7 or 8% of that. And in electricity, in a, in a wet year, you know, it can be down to sort of 2% of electricity supply. In a dry year, you know, it can be sort of 10%. So... It plays an important role for a lot of industries. Our coal imports have been increasing in the last few years, and a lot of that is simply because um, our gas supplies have been trailing off. Um, You know, gas is a big, important part of the power system, and when there isn't sufficient gas around, um, you know, the fallback option is coal. The electricity network is huge and really complex and is finely balanced. It takes a long time to make A, infrastructure changes and B, societal behavioural changes. So any immediate reduction or short-term reduction in some sort of supply will have a knock-on effect somewhere else. RNZ's Jordan Bond has done the number crunching on our coal imports, but getting those numbers wasn't straightforward. The Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, they are in charge of of energy. They put out figures quarterly on uh, where our electricity comes from. I also dug up some other figures that were not released. The coal import figures are collected by Stats New Zealand, but they are suppressed. 
the companies involved have applied to Stats New Zealand to have the specific locations of import, uh, as in the country of origin, and the specific amounts suppressed. Why is that? Stats New Zealand has a process where they have accepted that there are some commercial sensitivities involved in the importation of some goods. So they have allowed companies to apply um, and they will go through a process to determine whether or not these are commercially sensitive enough for Stats New Zealand to continue to collect this information but not release it publicly. So one of the stories I've done, I managed to get figures from UN uh, commodity trade data, which wasn't available here. We didn't have the numbers for how much coal New Zealand was importing by the country of origin released in New Zealand. But I turned it around and said, OK, well, how much coal is Indonesia exporting to New Zealand? And I was able to find those figures. So it's pretty bad optics, isn't it, to be revealed that a lot of our coal is so-called dirty coal from Indonesia? It's not great, yes, especially when we produce a lot of coal domestically. The problem is that we don't actually produce the right grade of coal that the Huntley Power Station, for example, uses. Okay, so let's go through this. The Huntley Power Station is fired up in in times of low hydro generation, isn't it? It's our backup option. And for that we need coal, but we need Waikato coal. It's a different type of coal than you get dug up in the South Island, right? Yes. So there there are four grades of coal ranging from anthracite to lignite. Um, Bituminous and sub-bituminous are in the middle. We produce bituminous coal, mostly in the South Island on the West Coast. We produce quite a lot of that. It's quite good quality coal. A slightly lower grade of coal is sub-bituminous. That's what the Huntley Power Station runs on. Coincidentally, a mine in Huntley produces some sub-bituminous coal, but it's not enough. It's only about 10% of what the Huntley Power Station needs. It's like different grades of petrol in your car. Um, They're all broadly the same, but they're slightly different, and the machines that use them need specific types of coal. The majority of our coal that we import comes from Indonesia, which is sub-bituminous coal and has specific properties and apparently quite low sulphur and ash content, which means it's not as bad as some dirtier coal. But regardless of whether the coal is um, quite clean, like anthracite, or quite dirty, like lignite, it is still easily the most carbon-intensive fossil fuel we have. And it's the worst emitter in the world, isn't it, coal? Yes. Regardless of what grade of coal we use, it's still easily the most carbon-intensive fossil fuel we could use on any scale. So what happens to the South Island coal that we dig up? That gets exported. Who uses the most imported coal? So three, three main users. Genesis Energy producing our electricity in the North Island. And that's at Huntley? Yes. Uh, New Zealand Steel, the Glenbrook Steel Mill, and Golden Bay Cement in Whangarei. They use, those two combined, use about 450-odd thousand tonnes. Genesis last year used about 800,000 tonnes for electricity generation, so about twice the amount of those other two combined. So when you say... Genesis used it. I mean, essentially, we used it, didn't we? Yeah. Because it's a low hydro year, so the country needs that power. So when you say the big emitters, really what you're talking about is us. Yeah, when we turn our lights on. In the first quarter of this year, if you're in the upper North Island where Genesis uh, distributes its energy to, every one minute of ten minutes that you had your lights on, on average, it was being powered by coal. 
and that's in times of high demand. Generally, when we have low demand, hydro can meet that. Um, in the evenings when people are getting home or the afternoon there's sort of an intermediate demand where other things come on stream like geothermal and gas. High demand is generally when we used our coal. Okay, so this current high importation binge we're on, that's been caused largely by what? For the last few years we've had low rainfall. That means our hydro lakes, which is easily the biggest contributor to our our electricity generation has been lower than normal. Um, we've had a, a dry couple of years. Um, these lakes are shallow. They need a lot of rainfall coming into them for them to keep producing at capacity. Hydro produces between 50 and 60% of our electricity, so it's really significant. The other aspect of this is we've had less than expected natural gas production from our gas fields. That's due to a few reasons. It's not quite clear there was some scheduled maintenance, but to the sector it did seem to be unexpected or unanticipated this level of drop. Is this related to the government's declaration that gas fields are on the way out? It's hard to tell. There's competing claims. The government says no. The ban was passed in 2018. Today we are announcing that the government will end new offshore oil exploration permits in New Zealand. It stops new exploration of gas fields. It's far too short a time frame for any gas fields to have been explored and to be producing already. The ones that are operating and producing natural gas now were already in production when this came into force, and they will be for some time. The ACT Party says no, this ban has actually affected the production of gas fields because it means the companies aren't coming down here with their expensive drilling rigs, moving them, which costs a lot of money, to maintain and refresh these currently producing gas fields because they can't also, in the same trip, to save money, look for new gas fields. The government and the sector strongly disputes that. New Zealand's gas industry is relatively small, and we've, we've got a dozen or so gas fields. Some of them are quite small, um, some of them are quite large, and we, we rely on about four big fields for probably about 80% of, our, of the gas. Uh, but New Zealand fields, they tend not to have a lot of wells, so we have a handful of fields with a handful of wells, and, you know, if you have a failure in one of those wells, it, it can actually have quite a big impact on supplies. And that's what's happened in the last couple of years in New Zealand. Uh, the Pokura field, which is our biggest field, an offshore field, its production has really trailed off unexpectedly. But all our fields are getting... Older, you know, um, Poakura, I think, started production about 2006, and I think Coupe was about 2009. So they're all sort of more than halfway through their life. They all need more money invested now to, to keep eking out gas. And we've, we've discovered um, just how quick, how vulnerable our gas system is to um, a big drop off in Poakura. Um, these fields, the production naturally declines but it was a real surprise to everybody how quickly the production from Pokura dropped off. I mean it's production now from Pokura is about half what it was a year ago and that's that's what's um, caused this tightness in the gas market and without gas you know we've had no alternative in a dry year but to turn to coal. But the eventual aim is to not have gas isn't it? I mean the government has stopped further exploration well, nobody else in the world is trying to do without gas. 
And in fact, if you look at some of the big emission reduction gains in the past decade or so in the world, it's because we've been able to take coal out of the system and replace it with gas and renewables like wind and solar, which are also getting a lot cheaper, a lot faster. The Climate Change Commission doesn't see us um, getting out of gas anytime soon either. They they recognise that we're going to need it till at least 2050. You know, because if we're going to have industries like um, New Zealand Steel, you know, you use a lot of coal in steelmaking, but you also use a lot of gas. And and we have these some of these industries that are hard to climate change question calls them the hard to abate industries. Hmm. Um, so somehow we have to wean ourselves off gas where we can, and firms are doing that. Um, but we've also got to su- keep a big enough industry so we can actually supply the parts of the economy that, that still still needs gas. And that's going to be quite tricky. So you've got a big overseas company that has got a few fields running and the equipment starts breaking down. There's no, I mean, I presume there'll be no incentive to really do a lot about that if there is no surety of future exploration. Yeah, I don't think it's quite, we're not quite at that point. I mean, OMV, who operates Poakura and Maui, they bought the fields off Shell a few years ago. They were very keen. They In 2019, in fact, they, they announced a big program, half a billion dollar program, to um, start looking at ways of getting more gas out of Maui and Poakura. Um, and then that work got a bit delayed with COVID, you know, Poakura production started falling off far quicker than they thought. I mean, they're not afraid to spend money, these firms, um, and they're working very hard to get production up. You know, they've already got some more gas out of Maui and they've got a rig coming over, maybe even later this year, to do some work uh, at Maui, more more drilling work to, to eke out some more gas. So that's not an issue yet. I mean, they understand how critical gas is to this economy, but it's probably that next sort of beyond that how do we invest you know there's a a gas discovery off the coast of Taranaki but it hasn't been appraised yet you know will anybody really do that work if they appraise it and they find it's uh, worth developing will they actually go ahead uh, in the current environment will they be allowed to go ahead well that's right that's that's the that's the multi-billion dollar question MBs warned the government its decision to end offshore gas and oil exploration could cost us $8 billion over 23 years and will increase risks around security and supply. And New Plymouth Mayor Neil Holdham has been vocal about the government's lack of a plan for Taranaki's future without oil and gas. Fundamentally, it's about the gas supply, which is our get-out-of-jail-free card when lake levels are low. So, you know, we've got this fantastic renewable resource, which is, you know, it's actually, it's the pride of New Zealand and it makes us comparatively internationally look like superstars. Um, but when when the lake levels are low and the wind's not blowing, um, we, we need gas and at the moment coal to keep the lights on. The optics of electricity generation are bad, whichever way you look at it, isn't it? If you want to introduce more hydropower, you've got to destroy natural environments and create a dam or you've got to dig it out of a coal mine, which destroys the environment, or you've got to mine the seabed, which destroys the environment, or you import tonnes and tonnes of coal that's destroying someone else's environment. I mean, it may not look like emissions on our books, but internationally it's still emissions, right? We're not solving any problems. 
Yeah, it's certainly tricky, and the government's been grappling with this. Hydropower, which is seen as a, a really clean way to produce electricity, does have um, large initial effects. We haven't built a big dam since the Clyde Dam in 1993. Um, there are a whole range of ecological issues that damming up an area creates. Coal, also at the other end, is a really bad option, but it does keep the lights on. There are ones in the middle, though, which we are exploring and expanding pretty rapidly. Geothermal and wind capacity has increased hugely in the last 10, 20 years and will continue to do so. Those are the two forms of generation that we look like we're going to be increasing the most over the next few That's years. That's where our expansion lies. Yeah. Is this just a blip? Are we just seeing a couple of years of gr- grossly increased coal imports? Uh, are we, you know, hoping for rain and it will get back to normal? Or is there a backup plan that will mean that these coal imports decrease over time? What is the future looking like? Well, everyone's hoping it is just a blip. And hopefully even this year we show a decline. The first quarter, 10% of our electricity came from coal. And government officials have told Megan Woods, the Minister for Energy and Resources, that this is expected to continue through the year, Not maybe not to this level, but our coal imports are likely to be a record high. In the short term, Genesis has struck a deal with a company called Methanex, a big methanol producer, to use some of their natural gas supply, quite a significant amount. I think over winter it's between 3.5 and 4.5 petajoules over winter. Their rankins, which burn the coal, can be fuelled also by natural gas. And natural gas emits about half the amount of carbon per thermal unit than coal does. So this is a good outcome. So Genesis is hoping their reliance on coal will decrease this winter. There's also a winter-summer swap uh, next year with Methanex as well. When generation is higher for Genesis, they can give some of these back to Methanex. Medium term, there are a lot of wind and geothermal projects coming on stream over the next few years. There have been some that have been finished uh, in the last year. There's another billion dollars of capital that's been committed to this year. Large-scale infrastructure does take a while to come on stream, but there are a few projects that are underway right now. The minister says the use of this much coal is not acceptable and is exactly why the government is investigating alternatives, including a large pumped hydro scheme in the South Island at Lake Onslow. This is hydro-powered electricity, but it's slightly different. It means we can store and more efficiently use electricity to run the country. The government has committed to 100% renewable electricity by 2030. So this is a major hope. The problem is even the earliest estimates, Lake Onslow might not be ready until 2030. What we're seeing is the result of years of failure to put in place alternative arrangements. And in consequence, we're faced with this disaster, really. The reason this frustrates so many people is because there are so many other viable alternatives. We can see around the world. Um, Huge big solar farms going in. Um, Solar produces a a percent or less of our electricity generation. We don't have much at all. Wind power has increased significantly, but there are consented farms sitting with private electricity generators that are just not being built because it doesn't appear to be economically feasible. We look at countries like Scotland. Scotland has about 5 million people as well. They just hit 97% renewable electricity for their 2020 generation year. They had a 100% target by 2020. Our 100% target for the same number of people is not till 2030. They've increased their onshore and offshore wind power, wind generation, hugely 
in the last 10 or 20 years. While ours has increased, yes, but not to a significant degree to get our renewable generation over about 80%. So where has been the planning? That's the question. We have had a really high level of renewable electricity demand. It's been between 70 and 90% since the 1970s. We've had big dams for a long time um, that have produced a lot of hydropower. Um, now that we haven't built any more dams um, and we've had a huge population increase and, and lifestyle changes where we've used more and more electricity, um, that hasn't been able to keep up. I mean, the gross amount produced has increased, um, but so has the population. Um, so we haven't really been able to, to breach the threshold of about 85% in the last 15 or 20 years. In the most recent quarter, renewable electricity provided just slightly less than 80%. So the problem for environmental advocates is, yes, coal right now may be needed, and they would reluctantly admit that to keep the lights on. A widespread electricity blackout would be catastrophic um, for the country. So coal is a necessary evil in this situation. But for environmental advocates, this represents a massive failure of infrastructure planning from successive governments, both major parties, for the last 20 years. Where has been our future planning to increase renewable generation more than 80% rather than just resting on our laurels, having an internationally good image of largely clean and green without actually doing any more to increase that significantly? If you think about this past six months we've just had. You know, coal has literally kept the lights on in this country and the government won't talk about it um, because of what it, <laughs> because of the implications that it has for them and their pretty flawed gas policy. Um, you know, AMP is at the moment uh, advertising heavily on TV this new sustainable KiwiSaver option and, and they, they quite proudly say that we don't invest in coal and we don't invest in fossil fuels um, but, you know, this, there's this disconnect. People want a first world energy supply. They're horrified at the cost of energy now, um, but they, they've never actually taken the time to understand, you know, how, how dependent we are on, on these things. That's all for today. I'm Alexia Russell. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and New Zealand On Air. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. And if you want to get in touch, email us at thedetail at rnz.co.nz. Our engineer today was Jeremy Ansell, and thanks to Gavin Evans and Jordan Bond. Kakite Anno.